Amen. Thank you, Gray. Well, welcome to Salem Chapel. If you're in this auditorium, let me say welcome to you. If you're new with us, we're so glad that you're here. If you're watching us online, let me thank you for tuning in this morning and, um, and so glad to have you with us. Whether you call this place your home or you're brand new, we are so glad that you tuned in uh, today or you may be watching this later on in the week or listening to it. We are glad that you chose uh, just to worship with us here at Salem Chapel. I don't know about you, but um, I can't look for opportunities enough to celebrate in the midst of 2020, right? There's a lot of things that we can say that have not gone according to plan. Um, and so it's in, it's in that reality that we need to be intentional about celebrating things. And I just want to do a couple of things. This has been a, this has been a good week uh, for me. And, uh, and I share this with you, not because necessarily I'm going to share you something uh, that's just like personal that, that happened for our family as much as that, for our church family. And, uh, and God is working uh, in the midst of this year. First of all, I want to mention, uh, many of you would not know this, but we're a part, uh, or you would not know that this happened this week. You know this, that we're a part of um, not a network or, or an organization as much as just a partnership with churches across the city and triad that believe that we uh, cannot engage in the mission that God has given us to present the gospel to every man, woman, and child in, in, in Forsyth County and beyond in this triad alone. Like we could do 10 services in this place and we wouldn't even come close to being able to reach just in our county over 300,000 people, 80% of them not attending anywhere today, whether that's online or whether that's in person. Um, and so we need each other. We need churches that stand on the gospel. And so we've been a part of this for a few years and we got to host something. We had 40 churches in this place. 40 church leaders in this place really talking about what does it look like to go after the heart of God, to really go after our city. And so that was just an encouraging thing for me. It should be an encouraging thing for you, uh, knowing that you have a church that has that heart. We're not in competition with any church that stands on the gospel. We need to be in collaboration. And so it's neat to see how God has grown that over the years. Here's another thing. Last night, we had what we called Winston United right in this room. Many of you didn't even realize that, but Winston United is, uh, is something that you need to know that our teenagers initiated. So this was something that they came to us and said, hey, we want to put on an event that partners with other, ch other church youth ministries and put on a worship service to really serve our city. Like that was like, do, can we do that? And it took me like, Mark and I, two seconds to answer that. Obviously, we said yes. That was supposed to happen in March. Obviously, a little friend of ours named COVID got in the way of that. Um, so they got to put that on last night, and it was so awesome to see um, just um, our teenagers as well as some other teenagers on this stage from other churches be able to put on a worship event for uh, students in this area. And man, that was a privilege. Uh, my daughter got to be a part of that as well. So as you know, I don't need to remind you of this, but I'm going to anyway. Before I'm a pastor, I'm a father, and I'm a husband first. And so as a dad, I was super proud that my child has the opportunity to be ministered to in a place that has that heart. And, uh, and I just say that to testify to Gray, 
who is our worship leader, and his investment in our teenagers for Mark. I say that for Luke Smith, who is our creative director. And uh, our mission here at Salem Chapel is we exist to make and mobilize disciples who represent the gospel to every man, woman, and child. In short, Cliff's Note version, our mission is to make and mobilize disciples. And I share those things with you that you are reminded that God's mission is pandemic proof. You excited about that? You need to be reminded of that. It's pandemic proof. And God is doing a work in and through this place. And so I just want us to give the Lord a hand for just some of the things that God is doing in this place through just the discipleship of, of, of people. And uh, man, I was encouraged last night just to be able to see those teenagers on style. I was like a proud, I was a proud papa. But my, I was a proud papa, not just for my kid, but just for our kids in general. And that, and that what we are trying to uh, proclaim and to build here is even impacting the next generation of this church. So praise God for that. I take time out of my uh, message this morning because I think it's important to celebrate that and not to lose sight of what the Lord is doing uh, in the midst of this crazy, crazy year. All right, turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 9. We're in this series, if you're brand new with us, we've been in this series that started in December entitled Broken People, Faithful God. We've been walking through the book of Judges. Now just to give you fair warning, we're now getting into a section of Judges that is pretty, pretty dark. Not that it hasn't already been, but we're going to continue to see the devolving of the people of Israel. Now, let me just share this so you don't feel guilty about this because you may be feeling this way. If you're reading along, we have a Bible reading plan that walks along this book that coincides with what we teach on on Sundays. You can access that at salemchapel.org backslash judges. You can do that right now if you want and follow along in that. I don't know about you, but have you felt this as you've read through the book of Judges? You're like, oh my goodness. Like, I'm just tired of reading the same thing over and over and over again. Like, you don't need to raise your hand, but, but you probably are feeling that. You're like, my goodness, like, how many times am I going to read? And the same thing happened. Israel falls into worshiping someone other than the Lord. Consequences come into their life. They cry out to the Lord. The Lord delivers. And we're on this repeat rep repetition and the cyclical pattern of living. Some of you may even be saying, man, I can't wait till we're done with the book of Judges. Like, I've had enough of Judges. Well, can I just encourage you if you're feeling that way that to embrace that frustration? Because as much as you want to be frustrated that you keep on seeing this pattern in the book of Judges, what that frustration needs to drive you to is if you're frustrated by what you are reading, imagine, imagine what the Lord could feel Towards us who live that way, but he doesn't. See, what we want you to see in this book is being reminded over and over and over and over again of Israel's brokenness reminds us that in and of ourselves, we continually make the wrong choice and continue to experience our brokenness. But in understanding that, you know what shines brighter? The more we embrace that we are broken, you know what shines brighter? The faithfulness of God, the goodness of God that we just sang. And so let me encourage you that as we go into this section of judges coming into it, 
And we begin to see how dark and how devolved Israel is getting that in spite of just focusing on that, allow that darkness and that unfortunate set of circumstances that, that comes out of the way that they were living to brighten the reality that, God, I thank you so much that you're faithful. I thank you so much that as far as I, I can wander as far and it be as dark to a point where I don't think I can even turn around and see you or come back to you, that God, your faithfulness always trumps my unfaithfulness. And that would just remind you once again of how amazing your Savior is, Jesus Christ. Now, we're in Judges chapter 9. So if you've read this, let me just say this. If you haven't read it, I'm going to say it as well because you need to hear this. So literally, I laughed out loud in my office this week when I read Judges 9. So just to let you know, I, I read through the book of Judges in my own time with the Lord back in early of 2020. And then in July, I go away and I calendar out. I go and I pray and I seek the Lord. And Lord, what do you want our church to walk through? So I calendared out that we were going to speak on Judges 9 way back in July. And so I'm going through Judges 9 and I'm like, man, it's all about this guy Abimelech who has this desire to be king and will do anything to do, go about it and, and, and forms this conspiracy uh, to get what he wants. Does that line up with, with anything that we've been in in the last week? So I literally laughed out loud. I was like, Lord, we're talking about a guy who wants power more than anything else and to do anything to achieve it. And man, like some people may think I just picked this passage of scripture out of the air because it coincides with the times that we're in. But the reality is, is I didn't. God did. So here's what I want to encourage you. Here's why I say that. Because here's what I don't want you to do. This morning, we're going to talk about selfish ambition and what it is and the consequences of it. And here's why I tie that to the events that we're living in and who's gonna be president when all this is said and done and, and what we're seeing on the news is because your tendency may be to be able to say, man, that's some good stuff. That's what I'm gonna yell at my TV this week. That's what I'm gonna yell about what I read on Twitter or whatever it is. And what I wanna encourage you with is not to apply it to what you are seeing when it comes to politics right now, but say, Lord, where in my life am I being driven by selfish ambition? Avoid the temptation to apply it to someone other than you and ask the Lord to show you what he wants you to see today. So can we pray that this morning? God, we're here today. Lord, what I, what I thank you for, even in even in planning out what we we're going to teach on this week. And the circumstances that we're living in in this, in this country around us. And Lord, doesn't it remind us that we are broken people? But God, I thank you that you are faithful. God, I thank you that the Bible is relevant. I thank you for that. But God, may we avoid the temptation and want to point the finger at someone else and what may be selfish ambition in their life to where we miss out on what you want to say to us today. So God, may we be open to your word because when your word is open, your mouth is open. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Here's the idea I want you to get today from Judges chapter nine. Let me give you the title of the message first. The title is this, My Kingdom Come. Now, if you know anything about the Lord's Prayer, 
The Lord is asked by his disciples, Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, your kingdom come, not my kingdom come. But the title of the message is on selfish ambition, so, or the, the, the idea of the message. So our title this morning is My Kingdom Come. Here's the overarching idea that I want you to get from this passage of Scripture. That selfish ambition, let me give you a definition. This is our idea. Selfish ambition is a growing desire to build your own kingdom for selfish glory. That's what selfish ambition is. It's a definition I came up with. It's a growing desire to build your own kingdom for your selfish glory. Selfish ambition, understand this, that selfish ambition always guarantees negative consequences in your life. That when you are driven for your selfish glory, you will heap on you negative consequences. It's 100% certainty. It's an absolute. You say, why do you say that? Well, let me take you to a passage of scripture. In fact, if you write in your Bible, just write on the margin next to Judges chapter 9, this reference, James 3.16. Let me read it for you. James says this, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So when I say that selfish ambition guarantees negative consequences, that isn't Johnny Pereira coming up with some neat little idea. That comes straight from God's word. When jealousy and selfish ambition are present, what will come with them? Disorder, disunity, dysfunction, every evil practice. So let me, what I want to do this morning is I want to give you three consequences of selfish ambition in your life. Through this passage of scripture as we work through Judges chapter 9, so that we will be on guard against it because it's subtle. It's subtle. Let me ask you this. I'm curious to get the, the, the feel of my crowd this morning. And, and you can do this online if you want as well. Even though I won't be able to see that hand, you can acknowledge it. Um, how many of you, this isn't a trick question and this isn't, this isn't at all like that, okay? So don't be like, am I supposed to raise my hand? Am I not? This is a... This is a Simple question. How many of you are achievers in the room? Raise your hand. My hand is raised. All right, keep them up. Keep them up. Um, all right. So probably a little over half. By 9 a.m., I have like three quarters. Um, I, let me just be transparent here. I am an achiever. I'm in the room with many achievers. And can I tell achievers this, and I don't say this to, to ostracize the rest of you from listening to what God wants you to hear today, but if you are an achiever, this is something that you're going to battle. It's something that you are going to battle till Jesus comes back and you are gonna have to slay it every day. This selfish ambition, this desire to build your own kingdom for selfish glory. So look at verses 1 through 21. Let me read these. Verses 1 through 21 is where our first consequence is going to be shown. But let's start in this story. It says, now Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, if you remember from last week, Jerubbabel is another name for who? Gideon. Did a great job. A plus. You passed the test. He went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole claim of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you? That all 70 sons of Jerubbabel rule over you or that one rules over you? Remember also that I am bone and your flesh 
And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on behalf in the ears of the leaders of Shechem. Like when I read that phrase, I can just almost being like it's whispered. Like they're saying it in the ears. Said in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you? The 70 sons of Jerubbaal to rule over you or the one that rules over you? Verse three. And he said this in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech for they said, he is our brother. Verse four. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Bareth which, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. So in other words, he pays people to say that he should be king. So he's paying to have an entourage, verse five. And he went to his father's house at Oprah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbabel, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest of Jerubbabel, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together and all at Beth Milo, and they went and they made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. Now here's what we can't do this morning. We can't read every verse of chapter nine this morning. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna read chunks of it to give us the idea of what's going on so that we can pull the application out of it. Here's what you need to understand about Abimelech here. He was the son of Gideon and his mother was one of Gideon's concubines. So it was a concubine. For lack of a better word, to put it crudely, she was a prostitute. She wasn't Gideon's wife. And so Abimelech came from this woman. And Abimelech's name means, uh, my father is king. Now, if you remember back in chapter 8, remember they wanted to make Gideon king after he defeats the Midianites. And Gideon said, no, I'm not going to be your king. They wanted to set up a dynasty with Gideon. Gideon said, no, 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 the Lord is king. But here's the problem. Even though Gideon was not made king, he lived like a king. Because what does it say in this passage of scripture that we just read? That Gideon has 70 sons. You didn't need to learn this today, but I'm gonna say it anyway. One woman can't give you 70 sons. Can't happen. Can't happen. So Gideon is described as having many wives and many concubines. So even though Gideon didn't declare himself to be king, Gideon sure lived like a king. And even though you see in the Old Testament, you'll see this often, you'll see kings will have many wives and they'll have many concubines. The purpose of that is that showed the more concubines and wives that you had, the stronger leader you were looked at, the mightier, mightier you were looked at as a leader. But I want you to understand this. Just because you see that in the Old Testament doesn't, doesn't mean that God condoned that activity. Like we see in Genesis, God's plan for a man and a woman was to be married to one woman or one man and be one flesh for life. That was God's purpose. And it's really sad because you see that even though Gideon did amazing things, you see even his devolving. And what we're gonna look at today is a consequence of him doing things contrary to the way the Lord designed. But Abimelech, what does he do in this passage? He starts a campaign. Because Abimelech's one desire is this. I want to be king and I'm willing to do anything to achieve it I want to be king here's something you need to understand about ambition in general not even selfish ambition but ambition because there's nothing wrong with being driven there's nothing wrong with being an achiever there's nothing wrong with having ambition but ambition rises to what we prize whatever we prize 
Our ambition is going to be geared towards that. Why? Because we pursue what we prize. Now, we know in Scripture, our ultimate prize should be the glory of God, and we need to pursue that. But ambition, just to put it generally, not sinfully, not wrongfully, ambition pursues what it prizes. And ambition is prizing something so much that I'm willing to sacrifice for it. Listen, you have things that you've pursued in life, whether that's a career, maybe you're in sports, whatever it may be. Maybe you have a goal that you want and you want to pursue it. And by pursuing it, you know what it means? You're going to have to say no to some things and yes to other things. But remember, selfish ambition is this. It's a growing desire to build your kingdom for selfish glory. See, here's the first consequence of that selfish ambition. And we see it in what we've read already in verses 1 through 6, but you would see it all the way through 21 verses of chapter 9. It's this, that you will view people as pawns to be used for your selfish glory. That's going to manifest itself in your life if you're driven by selfish ambition. You will see people as pawns on your chessboard to use to accomplish your agenda, your selfish glory. And when your pursuit is your own glory, you will do two things that we see even in these six verses. In verses one through three, we see this. You will manipulate others for your desired outcome. Don't you see that? Like you have people whispering in other people's ears, hey, you want Abimelech to be king. You have Abimelech literally paying people off to be on his side so that he can get what he wants. Abimelech does not care about these people at all. No, no, no. He views them as pawns to achieve what he wants. And when you do that, you manipulate people for your desired outcome rather than caring for others' well-being. It's very subtle. Well, this is what I want to achieve. So how do I go about it? You ever been, you ever have a relationship with someone like that? I've had relationships with someone that I didn't realize it right away. But after a while, when I look back, I was like, man, they were just using me. And if you're in those relationships and, you can, and then you start to be able to see it, you're like, man, they don't ask past the salt without an agenda. But like I said before, let's make sure we don't think of someone else that's done that to us. Let's put our lives before God's word and say, God, let me make sure in my life today that selfish ambition is not what is driving me to pursue something other than your glory, but actually I'm being driven to pursue things for my selfish glory. Selfish ambition often disguises itself with this question. Why wouldn't it be me? Ever think about that? Like transparently, remember I said I'm an achiever, so let me tell you transparently something that I have to battle. And this was true when I was in high school, it didn't change when I was in college, and I've been slaying this beast ever since. That whenever, it didn't matter if it was a sports team, it didn't matter whatever it was. Whatever I saw as the top of the ladder in whatever I was doing, you know what I was thinking in my mind? How can I get to that? How can I get to that? And if you're an achiever, in your mind you're saying, amen. Oh, well, that's the, that's the lead position. How can I get to that? 
That's what's being celebrated as success. How can I get to that? That's what will cause me to be looked at as others as having accomplished something. How can I get to that? And selfish ambition disguises itself in a question that says, why wouldn't it be me? You may have just gotten passed over for a promotion and someone else, maybe another she got it or he got it, another coworker, and you're saying, why wasn't that me? I can name six things, bam, 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 bam. I got a list right now, right off the top of my head. Why that should be me and shouldn't have been her or shouldn't have been him. See, selfish ambition starts off with the question, why shouldn't that be me? See, Abimelech got caught up into saying, hey, my father made a mistake. He had a ripe opportunity to set up a dynasty. He made the wrong choice. Why shouldn't it be me? And when that begins to take root, what will I do? I'll manipulate others for my desired outcome. Why? Because I view them as pawns rather than people. It's also motivated by jealousy. Remember what you read in James 3.16? That selfish ambition always accompanies, is always met with jealousy. Jealousy and selfish ambition are bedfellows. You don't have one without the other. Because if I'm driven to be at the top of the ladder or whatever I want to achieve, then that means I'm going to be jealous if someone else gets it and I don't. And we even see that with Abimelech because what does Abimelech do? He actually kills the brothers that are his flesh and blood because he sees them as a threat to what he wants to achieve. So it's not I'm gonna care for my flesh and blood. It's not that I'm gonna have compassion of my flesh and blood. I mean, those are my brothers. No, 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 they're getting in the way of my goal, which is what? To build my kingdom for my selfish glory. I want to be what? King. It's a dangerous thing, selfish ambition. It's a dangerous thing. And I was thinking about this this week because none of us would walk out of here, I believe, and say, I'm willing to kill someone for what I want, literally. And some of us in here are like, yep, I can name five people right now that have done that to me. And we want to avoid, once again, falling into temptation of wanting to think about someone else rather than ourselves. Let me ask you this, that maybe a good question to ask to determine if I viewed people as pawns to be used for my selfish glory is ask yourself this, how many relationships do you have in your life that are long lasting? That haven't burned out? Like, yeah, I was friends with that person for three years. That's it. I was friends with that person for two years, gone. I was friends with that person for six months. Now we're not. Yeah, I was friends with them and we moved away and we don't ever talk. Whatever it is. Chances are, if my relationships with other people are very short-lived, I have, not always, but I need to ask myself, is the reason for that because I viewed them as people to be used rather than people to be ministered to and be ministered by? Selfish ambition. Here's the second thing. Let's look at verses 22 through 49. Now, we jumped a bunch of verses, and what I want you to understand is in verses 7 through 21, Jotham escapes. We see that in verse 
6, and Jotham, what he does is he escapes, and he tries to tell the people of Shechem Abimelech's plans. Like, Abimelech is playing you. He's manipulating you. He doesn't care about you. And Joseph, or Jotham tells these people that, and then he runs away and hides because, after all, Abimelech has just killed 69 of his brothers. So that's what's taking place. Now we come to verse 22. It says, Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. That's just a side principle that, you know what, when I'm driven by selfish ambition, at some point, at some time, the Lord's gonna love me enough to stop my pursuits. Verse 24, that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jerubbabel might come and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother who killed them, and on the men of Shechem who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops and robbed all who passed by them along the way. And it was told Abimelech and Gael, the son of Ebed, so he's trying to create an uprising against Abimelech, moved into Shechem with his relatives and the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. So Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. Verse 35 and Gael, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city, and Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Gael saw the people, he said to Zebo, look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebo said to him, you mistake the shadows of the mountains for men. So Zebo didn't believe that these men of Abimelech were coming and Gail spoke again, verse 37, look, people are coming down from the center of the land and one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oat. And then Zebul said to him, where is your mouth now, you have said? Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these the people you mean to spy? So Zebul said, hey, Gail, you were talking all this smack and now they're coming, like where's your courage? Go out now and fight with them, verse 39, and Gail went out to the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him, and many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. Verse 45. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day, and he captured the leaders, and he killed the people who were in it. And he razed the city. In other words, he set fire to it and sowed it with salt. In other words, so that nothing could be grown there again. Verse 46. And all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard it, and they entered the stronghold of the house of Elberth. Verse 47, and Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. And Abimelech went up to the Mount Zalman and he and all the people were with him. And Abimelech took an ax in his hand and cut down a bundle of brushwood, took it up, laid it on his shoulder. He said to the men who were with him, well, you've seen me do, hurry and do as I have done. So every one of the people cut down his bundle and following Abimelech, put it against the stronghold, against this tower and they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. So here you have Abimelech now killing the very people that he's supposed to be ruling. Why? Because now they are starting to turn and begin to see Abimelech for who he is, which leads us to the second consequence that selfish ambition will have in your life. Number two, you will seek to destroy anyone who threatens to undermine your selfish glory. Now, would we take measures that Abimelech took in physically killing someone? No. But we can destroy people a lot of other ways, can't we? 
Oh, yeah. With our words, with our tactics, with our whispers. Oh, yeah. See, we seek to destroy anyone who threatens to undermine our selfish glory. Why? Because we, you, are going to do whatever is necessary to protect what you love most. And if your selfish glory and your agenda and your goal, which is driven by you, if you love it enough, you will eliminate people that are in your way to get what you want. Why? Because selfish ambition is all about you. Selfish ambition is all about me. And if it's all about me and it's all about you, then I'm also going to believe that it's dependent upon me and it's dependent upon you to protect what I see as mine, what you see as yours. Anybody ever play the game sorry? Raise your hand. It's my favorite game. Now, anyone who's a fairly close friend of mine and my family knows this, I don't like board games. I spell board games B-O-R-E-D. Not a really fan of board games, but I love Sorry. It's a very simple game, and it's a game of domination and elimination. <laughs> I love it. When I'm playing that game, and we're playing it, and it's me, and it's Lori, my wife, and it's Lucas and Lily are my two kids, and we're playing that game. They know how much I love it, and they know how much I love to win, and they know I hold no remorse whatsoever in that game, so it's always three against one, which makes winning even more amazing. <laughs> so when I play that game, and we're going around that little board, and I get to knock someone's little, whatever that thing is called, off the board, whatever those things, I don't know what those things, anybody know what those things are called? Pawns, okay, that works, right, with today's message. That wasn't the word I was thinking, but nevertheless, we'll go with it. Those little pawns, I love flicking them off. Do you know what? I don't think once, I know how much Lori loves me. I know she's an amazing cook, she's an amazing wife, she, she does so much for our family. Oh, but it's going to land, I could land on that or I could land somewhere else. You know what? She does so much, so I'm not going to do that. That thought never goes through my mind. <laughs> never. I'm, and I will make it a point to take that thing off the board with a flick. Why? Because my main agenda in that game of sorry is to win. That's it. I'm not thinking about your feelings in that game. I'm not thinking about what you feel after that game. No, no, no. I just want to win. Why do I give that simple illustration, silly illustration? Because so often we are driven for our selfish glory. That's how we live our lives. My main goal is to win. My main goal is to achieve this. My main goal is to do this. And if you are getting in my way, then unfortunately, you are going to be a casualty of me achieving what I want. That is Abimelech. And I'm sure when Abimelech started out saying that he was king, he probably thought he had every right to say that he was king. He probably didn't think to himself when he said that at the beginning and we find in verses one through six that he would ever resort 
or not verses one through six, but verses one through three, he would ever resort to actually killing people to achieve what he wanted. But the problem is the consequences is we will seek to destroy if we allow selfish ambition to drive us. We will even seek to destroy those who threaten to undermine our selfish glory. We are sinners. And because we're sinners, we love ourselves. And by nature, I love me more than anybody else. And because we're sinners and because we naturally love ourselves more than anyone else, we aspire to bring glory to ourselves and we will drop godly dreams. We will drop godly dreams at the drop of a hat if something more attractive shows up if we do not have our hearts guarded. Like, well, Lord, I have a five-year plan. And in five years, I'm supposed to be here. And I'm like at year four, and it ain't playing out at all like I thought it would. And so I gave you four years. Now it's time for me to take control. See, we'll drop them at the drop of a hat if we allow selfish ambition to drive us. And if we get caught up in this motivation, if we get caught up in this process, here's what will happen. The right kind of dreams will die. See, godly dreams are always driven not by selfish ambition, but they're driven by humility. Humility that says this, the dreams that I have, I wanna do them for God's glory. It's not saying that we shouldn't have ambition. It's not saying that you need to feel less than or, or feel ashamed because you're wired as an achiever. It's not saying any of those things. Praise God that God's wired you that, that way. But that needs to be steered and directed Toward Lord, you have me on this earth not to serve me, but to accomplish things for you so that I can make a difference in people. People are not to be viewed as pawns. People are to be viewed as people to be cherished and ministered to and invested in. Humility rightly understood ought to be the thing that puts the guardrails on our ambition. See, humility is not the fabric softener to your selfish ambition. What do I mean by that? Well, you're driving, someone gives you a compliment, say, man, you're so gifted at that. Well, praise God. Praise God. I'm so thankful that God gifted me this way. And you should be thankful too. It's not meant to be a little, sprinkle a little fabric softener or go down a little easier, be a little softer, you know, for me acting this way. No, no, no. Humility is meant to be the guardrails to our souls, to our decisions. How is this going to give God the glory, not necessarily be driven by how I am going to get in? Here's the third thing. It's found in verses 50 through 57. Let's read it first. It says, then Abimelech went to Thebes and a camp against Thebes and he captured it, verse 51. So he's still on this tirade of eliminating any threat. But there was a strong tower within the city and all the men and the women and the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in and they went up to the roof of the tower. Now, can I stop here? And here's why I wanna say this because it's okay to think these things when you're reading scripture because when I was reading this again this week, you know what I thought to myself? Man, this is like a bad horror movie where you're like yelling, don't run there. Like, didn't you see what happened to the people who ran to the last tower? Like, I'm like, don't run there. Like, you can't get out. 
But it's sad that because they put their trust in a leader, a leader that was leading them wrongly, that their decision-making is less than to be desired. And it says in verse 52, and Abimelech came to the tower and he fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. Verse 53, ladies, I love this verse. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Just another verse in Judges how God uses women to accomplish his purposes. Right? I mean, it's sort of feel guilty that we're laughing about that, but at the same time, verse 55, and when the men of Israel saw that, or I'm sorry, and his young man, let me not miss this, and his young man threw, um, sorry, let me jump up, verse 53, threw it on it, verse 54, then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me a woman killed him. Now, here's the point of that. Back in this day, that would have been the worst dishonor that a soldier could have that a woman killed him. We've seen that happen before, right, with Deborah in the story of Deborah. But I think it's interesting that what Abimelech wanted so much and he refused to humble himself, the Lord did the humbling for him. Listen to me, this is just a side note. You have the choice to either humble yourself or the Lord will cause you to be humiliated. And I don't know about you, but I'd much rather choose the first option. Verse 56, then God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubal. Here's the third consequence, the last consequence of selfish ambition that we see in this passage of scripture. You will lose more than you can afford for your selfish glory. The thing that Abimelech wanted the most, he ended up losing. Why? Because it was driven for the wrong reasons. Which is interesting, right? Because selfish ambition, you know what it does? It doesn't lead you to contentment. It leads you to discontentment. Like we like to think to ourselves, man, if I just have this, if I just have this relationship, if I just have this boyfriend or this girlfriend, if I just have this marriage, if I just have these kids, if I just have this job, if I just have this house, if I just live in this place, if I just, whatever it is, we think when we're driven by it with a selfish ambition for our glory, we think that actually that will satisfy that hole that's inside of us. But you know what I've found in my life? It doesn't satisfy. You know what happens? The hole only gets bigger. The appetite only grows. See, when you're motivated for your own glory, that is a beast that you can never satisfy. And selfish ambition always leads to discontentment. You see this devolving, this sad story of Abimelech who wanted more than anything to be king. And because he wanted that more than anything else, he ended up losing what he has. And it's never enough because selfish ambition always leads to discontentment. You know what the cure of that is? You know how contentment is found? If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, it's in those moments when you're like, man, why can't it be me? That's an innocent question. And you know yourself better than anybody else. 
And you know yourself if that's a question to ask that can put you on the wrong road or if it's an innocent question. But when I'm being driven by selfish ambition, what I need to do in that moment is I say, hold on, let me stop here and let me compare what I've been given in Jesus to what I deserve. Because selfish ambition is written, written with this lie that I deserve something more than what I have. When the gospel says, I deserve nothing. And remember I said, if you're an achiever, man, you battle this to a degree that others may not, where you want to define yourself by what you have accomplished, by what accolades you have, by how long your resume is, by what platform you have. And on the flip side, and it's just as ugly, we define ourselves by what we think we should have achieved that we haven't. And it's in those moments that I want to say, no, 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 how am I defined this morning if I put my trust in Jesus Christ? I am defined as a son or daughter of the king. That just like we looked at in chapter eight where Gideon was this cowardly farmer that the angel of the Lord says to Gideon, Gideon, you are a man of valor. That that's how the Lord sees you today. And it's not dependent if I fail at something tomorrow. It's not dependent if I take this risk and it doesn't work out. It's not dependent if I lose my job tomorrow. It's not dependent if that other woman gets a promotion and I don't. No, no, no. My identity is found in Jesus Christ. And I have to yell that, and you have to yell that to that voice that wants to say, no, no, no. I gotta do more. I gotta be more. This is what's going to give me contentment. And you've got to know what truth to shout at that lie that sometimes rings like a siren between your two ears. Because selfish ambition not only always leads to discontent, but it, discontentment, it leads to destruction. And what you will do if you allow yourself down that road long enough is you will destroy the things that you truly love. And it will be too late. And my whole life was given to this. My whole life was given to my job, to my career. And if I would have just spent more time with my wife or my kids, I'd have a marriage that's whole and I would have kids that, that love me and are now sitting in a counselor's office trying to work out issues that I contributed to. It always leads to destruction. Oh, don't believe the lie that starts off with selfish ambition saying, it's okay for it to be about you. No, no, no. Selfish ambition is growing, is a growing desire to build your kingdom for your selfish glory. And how do we combat this with this idea? Me believing as we close that God is more interested in who I am becoming in him. Way more than what I'm achieving. I don't define myself by my successes or my failures in life. No, 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 I define myself by what Christ is doing in me. 2 Corinthians chapter four, verses 14 and 15. Listen to me, if you're an achiever, you need to memorize this. I've memorized it. Different translation, but nevertheless, I've memorized it. 
and says this, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for the one who for their sake died and was raised again. I don't live for me. I live for the Lord. God's given me abilities. He's given me giftings. He's given me a platform at Salem Chapel. He's given me those things. He's given me a wife. He's given me kids. He's given me all of those things. He's given you things. He's given you a job. He's given you a platform. He's given you abilities. He's given you giftings. Praise God for that. But that's not for you. That's so people can look at what you have achieved or what you will achieve and be able to say, man, isn't it amazing to see what him or her has achieved? But you know what's interesting? That doesn't seem to be the most important thing to them. And people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ won't understand that, but that's the whole point. Man, you're great at that. You've accomplished these things, but that doesn't seem to be the most important thing to you. Why is that? Well, let me tell you why. Because Jesus is. A platform that we're given, who are we going to use it for? His glory, our glory. God, we're here today. We lay our lives before your word so easy for us to be driven by selfish ambition. So easy. And God, would we, would we slay that growing desire to want to build our kingdom for our selfish glory and understanding that my successes or my failures do not define me. I am defined by Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me live in that freedom. Let me have that ambition. Let me have goals. Let me have dreams. But Lord, may they not be the thing that I worship. Lord, you're the one that I worship. And that worship, that humility, that posture puts guardrails on our heart. God, may we be people that reflect your glory, not steal your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us this morning?